Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. So we'll be returning to the previous format where I'll be talking about the um, like the novels in parts. Unfortunately, to talk about them like character by character, it takes a lot of organizing and work to get those episodes out. And right now, I just don't have the time to do that. So for volume five, I'll just be giving my thoughts um, split by parts. So the novel starts off by talking about a guy who wishes happiness for everyone, saying happy ending would be a good nickname. But apparently, he's a bad guy. I guess the idea is that not everyone who wants happiness for others is a good guy. I'm pretty sure they're talking about Alma here. Another interesting tidbit in the beginning was learning about the initial intention behind the like eating process for immortals. It was never supposed to be used in like a nefarious way like Zillard used it, to eat up everyone's personalities, knowledge and memories without their consent. It was never meant to act as like it was never meant to supposed to be an act done through force. It was supposed to be an act of like letting go, of giving up, where an immortal gives up their life to another as a means of preserving the totality of their life within another person. A moment of transcendence. Now let's cut into the story. So we start off with Sylvie. She's scared out of her mind with Zillard approaching her. In fact, Zillard tries to eat her, but he can't. He stands there confused. Turns out, Sylvie never drank the elixir of immortality when everyone else on the Edwina Advis did. Niall? A person on this boat comes out of nowhere and then like severs Zillard's arm. Zillard dashes off. There was a really cool image that popped up as well in this scene. An image of Sylvie looking frightened and Zillard was about to like put his hand on her and kind of eat her. It shows how much of a madman like Zillard actually is. It also shows how Sylvie looks like in the past, which is very important for like later in the story. After Zillard leaves, Alma pops up. He tells them obnoxiously to smile within this situation. Niall thinks he's being naive. Elma says that he's going to try to convince Zillard to change his mind. Niall says Miser would not be okay with that. Turns out the Miser we know today, who's pretty chill for the most part, is a bit different to the Miser back then. He was enraged and out for blood. Elma says in response to this that he'll go calm Miser down. He also says that if he gets eaten by Zillard in the process of trying to change his mind, then he has absolute faith that the others will take over. You get the impression from Alma that he's quite naive, but it's hinted at that it's not coming from a place of not knowing that he could, like, potentially die, or not understanding, like, the gravity of the situation. Alma is just committed to making sure that all of the, like, positive options that exist within this scenario are at least given their due diligence. Like, he wants to at least try the option that makes everyone smile, the positive outcome he can find. Alma goes to find Zillard and they do meet, but he ends up doing like a flip and splashes into the ocean. Turns out Huey and Denkuro drove off Zillard. After this, he finds himself talking to the demon, the same demon that gave everyone the elixir of immortality. Even the demon is like, did you actually think you could change Zillard's mind? You saw the guy, right? See, when Alma heard that Zillard was actually smiling, that gives him the confidence that he can change his mind. It seems that smiles mean a lot to Elmer, and that it gives him hope that people can change. Even an evil smirk that revels at like the sight of blood is a smile that showcases hope for humanity within a person. Like any sort of smile represents a person is still human. He considers it like proof of joy within a person. He basically wants Zillard to just apologize and then atone for his sins. The demon queries this, like what about all of the victims from like Zillard's onslaught? Like, don't they deserve justice by having him killed? Elmer says his attention doesn't go to the dead because the dead don't smile. 
The dead don't feel joy or anger. When he says such things, we hear the demon say that Elmer is somewhat of a like villain himself. And this is coming from a demon, mind you. Elmer's pretty interesting, and what's really interesting is that in this scene, the demon offers him like any power he wants. He gets one wish. Before we can see Elmer's answer, we cut away. Elmer's choice in that moment is a really good mystery to have hanging for the novel. You're constantly thinking, what did Elmer choose? And through that, you get sucked into the story. I thought this introduction for this novel was really awesome. Like we dive into the past and see how chaotic everything was back then on the ship. And we even get to see that the demon, like he was still around. I thought we'd never see the demon again. I thought making the demon be more of like a fully fledged character, even if it's for like a little bit, was a stroke of genius. So now we move on to the main backdrop of this novel, the village. Alma enters a village and is guided by some like little girl. He tells her about like Christmas because she doesn't know what it is. He tells her to smile because that's what everyone should do in his opinion. The girl who we can tell is kind of subservient in a way, like she calls him like Master Alma, thinks to herself, if I stay around this person, maybe I'll be able to remember things about my past. Maybe I can recover my memories. She thinks to herself, is this a feeling of like anticipation or hope? So once again off the bat, we're put into a new scenario that is littered with like a lot of intrigue. We have no idea what's going on at this time. And it's a great way to like once again build up more mysteries for us to solve. Also her questioning if what she's feeling is anticipation or hope is like key to her emotions and feelings which also play like a central theme in this novel. After meeting the girl we do like a hard cut to like two days later. Alma is getting like destroyed by the villagers like beaten and bruised and murdered really. The villagers think he's like conspiring something. We meet Master Dez and he seems like kind of a dick. He actually hits like that girl with the club and she like falls down. The girl is still thinking to herself, man I just want to be with Elma. It seems in like two days she got pretty attached to him. She even thinks to herself that she hasn't like wished for anything in years. So we can see that she doesn't really have much agency in her own life. She then says something really strange. She says that she has herself on her shoulder. At the time this was like, like what? Like doesn't make sense, how can you have yourself like on your own shoulder. We'll get to this later because it's important. Anyhow, Alma's getting destroyed and all she sees is Alma becoming more painted in red and her feelings become more and more painful. Feelings that she hasn't felt in a really long time. Once again, a scene that like builds a lot of mystery and leaves us like really confused. So let's move on to Shez, uh, Miser, Sylvie and Nile too. Shez is turning 300 soon, which is pretty cool. We find out that they're going to see like an alchemist to inform them that Zillard Quates is dead. When we see Sylvie again, her personality seems very different from the like scared person we saw before. You get the vibe that she can kind of act like seductive almost. They're all like reminiscing about different alchemists, naming Alma and Huey. As they're on this drive, they notice that the trees are growing in places where like sunlight should not reach it, so... It's kind of confusing to them. This is another moment of foreshadowing by the author. Sylvie is like, like, and after this, Sylvie is like teasing Shez and wrapping her arms around him. And I think one of them talks about like monsters. But Shez tells Sylvie that she's never met a monster. And it's clear that he's talking about Claire Stanfield, the rail tracer in this moment. His haunting experience with Claire still sends like shivers down like Shez's spine. I like that despite all the years that have passed, Shez remembers that moment. 
After this, they find a dead end, and Miser tells them that the place is like private property, so the village is private property. Now, after this, like Miser's wild side like activates, which is interesting because like up to this point, I don't think we've really seen Miser's like wild side. He like puts his boot on like the pedal and then revs up like on a landslide, and to everyone's shock, they go over it and then fall like spectacularly. Poor Niall, who's also like in the boot, was in for like an extra shock because he can't see the fall coming. It just kind of happened. It's interesting to know that Miser also has like facets of his personality where he does things at his own speed and not at the pace of others. Now Miser and the gang are getting surrounded by the villagers. We get to see the viewpoint from the girl in the village from before. She thinks that the vehicle that they're driving is the same as what their traders use. Now this traders, that like name, that'll become important later. She thinks that they're going to be killed, but she believes that she can only, like, tell people what she sees, right? Like, that's her role now, apparently. Like, she can just kind of watch on, and that's all she does. This girl at the time felt like a prisoner, almost. Like, who never really did anything she wanted, like, even after hearing that as well. Like, that was my first impression of this girl. Like, someone's, like, taken her, and someone needs to, like, get her out of there. Back to Miser and the gang. They look at the village, and they think it looks like a badly made set. Like, Miser has seen what a village of this era should look like, all things considered. But that wasn't it. I thought the description of the village, like, really helped it come alive. Like, the idea of it being, like, a badly made set was, like, a pretty apt description that helped me feel, like, immersed in what these characters are, like, witnessing. Also, we get to see the character personalities play out in this scenario. Like, Shez is scared of, like, the village. Miser just kind of wants to converse with the people. And Sylvie is sad that there won't be any, like, showers. They all slowly get out of the car, and Des, the village master, tells them that they should leave. As the villagers see a little boy and, like, a woman, like, leave the car, they feel themselves being, like, less agitated. But once Miser mentions Elma C. Albatross, the hostility is back in full force, and Des orders the attack. The tension was pretty high in this scene. I love the way the author kind of, like, builds up to Miser revealing Elma's name, and the immediate repercussions after that made all the build-up worth it. Like, you knew Miser was going to mention, like, Elmer at a certain point, or, like, you kind of got that vibe. Moving on, Miser does end up getting, like, shot, and they see his blood come out, and then wriggle back into his body. The villagers look in horror, but it's not because it's something that they hadn't seen before. It was horror from, like, a place of, like, familiarity. They've seen immortality before. I thought that this was, like, a really, like, nice description as well. Making the contrast between like the two types of horror one can feel was a distinction that I really valued. You can be horrified about something because it's so different and eerie that it like churns your stomach. And you can be horrified in the sense of thinking, no, like not this again. A last tidbit was that the Matillo family boss was one of the only people to like react like abnormally as well. So I'm pretty keen to like meet this guy properly and like delve into his character. During the chaos, Niall appears and he like locks a villager's arm in like the car window. He appears like a banshee with like a face mask on. It's a great image that looks pretty wild. Luckily, Niall does listen to like Miser's leadership and tells him like not to attack. Miser knows that the villagers know something about Elmer. See, Miser and Shez have been like searching for like other immortals for 30 years now, and finding Niall and Sylvie were like hard enough. That's why he had become a patient and, like, mentioned Elmer earlier. After this, three sisters dressed in, like, red come along and ask that Miser and his gang come with them. They mention Master Elmer as well. 
the mystery just keeps evolving at this point and you really get to feel that you're in the unknown in like many ways. They go along with them, but they're still like using their car. Miser finds it strange that the villagers don't know that the property is private property. That they didn't just like tell them to leave because they were trespassing. Like that would have just like solved their issue. But instead, they decided to call them outsiders. Now, in terms of like the girls in red, they spoke in like archaic ways and Des, the village head, called them like the messengers. I like the way the author uses the fact that it's a private property important like in this story. Like Miser makes his deductions based on like actual information he has instead of some like crazy intuition that comes out of nowhere. I think just like in volume 4, we see the author's focus on information permeating throughout this novel as well, especially with there being characters that are information brokers as well. They arrive at a fortress and they see Christmas decorations everywhere. A creepy voice starts laughing maniacally. Miser knows it's Alma and tells him that he's arrived. Alma is surprised to see Miser. He's really happy to see everyone. Turns out, Alma had no idea it was them. He just knew that the villagers, like, hurt people, so he just wanted to save them. But Miser is thinking, like, who the hell told him that? You know, like, who the hell told him that, like, people were being hurt at that moment? Like, it's a long way away from the spot, like, where they were surrounded by villagers. Like, they went in a car, and they drove pretty far. Once again, a mystery that would be, like, solved later. So, like, immediately, like, the degree of mystery is really, really thick in this novel. After some banter between the four, we actually learned something about Sylvie. We learned that she drank the elixir of immortality some years after receiving it. She wanted to drink it at a peak beauty. It's an interesting twist, like, to the elixir. Generally, most people would not be able to contain themselves into drinking such a thing. Getting rid of the fear of death is such, like, an alluring invitation. Despite this, she waited, and we will learn more about that later. Overall, I thought it was a fun way to reveal more, like, depth about Sylvie's character by using, like, banter. Now comes one of my favourite moments. With Shez, we always get the feeling that he's like an outsider looking in all the time. And we see that's true. When he starts seeing that no one's changed at all after so many years, he feels sad. He sees that it's just him who's changed. It's a heart-wrenching scene and shows immediately how Shez struggles in not making like things negative. Even something beautiful as a reunion results in a deep insecurity within himself. Poor guy's been through hell and it shows. Right after this, we also get another scene that leaves like a somber feeling. The girl is like looking on, seeing the immortals like goofing off and like smiling. She thinks like she wants a smile as well, but she thinks she can't smile. All she can remember is sadness. So with these two scenes, we're starting to see a lot of like the emotional baggage that some characters are holding, specifically Shez and the girl. Now that's all for part one of volume five. Tune in for part two next time. Thanks for listening, guys.